3 a.m. Again, why did I ever think this was a good idea? Welcome to the Rise and Run podcast. Join our group of Run Disney friends as we talk about running at Walt Disney World and beyond. We'll discuss recent runs, training, upcoming races, and surprise topics suggested by you, our listeners. Well, the alarm's gone off, so let's go. Hi, this is Tara Wagner from Baltimore, Maryland, and you're listening to the Rise and Run podcast. Hey, Tara, thank you for the intro. Friends, we appreciate you leaving those intros for us. And welcome, my friends, to episode 82 of the Rise and Run podcast. I'm Bob, and I'm not here. And not here with me tonight are my friends Alicia. Hello. Lexi. Hello. Jack. Hi. Greg. I thought we were not here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's hey, so hey, cool. hey. I'll, I'll, expl- I'll explain in a minute. John. Hey, how you doing? And Allie. Hi, friends. Now, when I say we're not here, what I mean is this episode is airing the week after springtime surprise. We are recording it 48 hours before springtime surprise because a lot of us won't be here next week. So tonight, please enjoy an encore episode of the Rise and Run podcast. As we call Rise and Run Rewind. So our guest tonight is Michelle Holland. She has 35 years of physical therapy experience. She's a certified athletic trainer with NATA and certified strength and conditioning coach and NCSA. She works with and trains scholastic athletes to athletes at the Olympic Training Centers in Lake Placid in Calgary, Canada. She also works daily with um, local athletes that she sees in her practice that she owns with her husband, Jerry. She specializes in orthopedics and sports medicine. She's also an athlete herself and has run the Boston Marathon nine times and completed two Ironman events. Wow. She's not only a great physical therapist, but she's also my physical therapist. Michelle, thank you for joining us tonight. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're, we're excited. This is going to be a great episode. We got a lot of questions that came in for it, so I think people will be pretty excited. Now, what we always ask our guests is, how did you get started in running? You know, that's a good question because I was always athletic. I always played sports growing up. Um, But it wasn't really until I had our fourth child, um, and Sean at the time was probably eight years old, and I just needed, like, alone time. So I would go out for a run, and that's how it all started. So I would initially just do fast, quick runs because that's what I had the opportunity to do, and then felt great felt better when I got home. It was a good um, mental stress reliever as well. And then I just said, you know what, why don't I try something big? So I saw an ad for a um, a bib for the Boston Marathon for the Lazarus House in Lawrence. It's a, a homeless shelter. And I said, well, here's, here's an opportunity to, you know, put a goal on the calendar and raise some money. So that's how it started. And then from there, it just kind of snowballed. How did you get started in the Ironmans too? 
Yeah, pretty much the same way I started with the marathon. I can do a marathon and that looks cool. So I'm going to try this swim and add the bike to this. And You're doing full up Ironmans, the Hawaiian style. Now, yeah. for people who don't know what an Ironman is, why don't you tell them how many miles each thing is? Yeah, so there's different types. There's a sprint Ironman, there's a half Ironman, and then there's a full Ironman. So uh, a sprint is just obviously it's shorter, but a full Ironman is a 2.2 mile swim, 112 mile bike, and then a marathon. Wow. And yeah. then just a marathon at the end. <laughs> well, it's it's funny because it got to the point where our, you know, the kids would just say, oh, mom's going out for a run or mom's going for a swim or a bike, whatever. Um, but I would go very early in the morning. So they didn't always see me training. Um, mm -hmm. But then one marathon, one Boston, I was really nervous in the morning and I, you know, getting the kids ready for school, put them on the bus and then was heading off to, to Hopkinton. And I said to my youngest, I said, Sean, I'm really nervous about the run today, the marathon. And he's like, mom, it's, it's just a run. You don't have to do the swim and the bike. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, good point. So it's all perspective, right? It's all relative. So how long does it take to actually train for an Ironman? I thought about it, but I'm not a great swimmer. So that would be like that part that would be like a no go for me, which I'm so impressed by you, by the way, just want to say that. <laughs> well, thank you. But um, I honestly, I would, I would not have considered myself a marathon runner or an Ironman or anything. Um, it, but just like a marathon, you have a training, you know, training program that you follow and you have, um, a ramp up phase, you'll have a little rest and recovery week in the middle of that. And then, you know, you, you as you increase your miles, then you have your taper time. So it can, it can range for like a 16 to 20 week program. But most people who do long endurance, they pretty much train year round, but then they just adjust their distances um, as they get closer to their event. Um, but you can do it. I'm telling you, you can do it. Cause you know what? Everybody just survives the swim, especially, and you know why you do your first Ironman is so you'll figure out how to do your second one better. So don't ever yeah. Yeah. <laughs> underestimate your ability to do something. I appreciate the faith, but you haven't seen me swim. <laughs> well, you know what? It's more like a doggy paddle with a slight wing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Jack, how did you get hired as a boat captain then? Well, okay, so it was very generic swim test, okay? You had to stay afloat for like a minute. So. All right, <laughs> sorry, I, I, I derailed this. All right, but, but back to the PT work. No, but true story, a, a very dear friend of mine, um, I was working with him at the time for his shoulder, and I was telling him, like, I'm, you know, I'm going to do this Ironman. I was going to do this triathlon. And then he, he came back and he said, well, is there an age limit on that? And I said, no. And He's 75. And he said to me, I want to do it, but I don't know how to swim. So Ooh. he took swimming lessons. Oh, wow. I know. And the, the end of the story, and, and Allie, you'll see his picture in the clinic. He, he continued to do, you know, he figured out how to bob his way or swim his way through his sprint. Or I think he mostly did sprint or Olympic style uh, distance, but he did, he did the swim, bike and run. So never, never underestimate what you can do. Basically, Jack, this is saying you need to do an Ironman. <laughs> I think this. I think this is the moment. <laughs> well, we're signing up for two because Michelle said that you do the first one to figure out how to do your second one better. So we're right. <laughs> you're in for two. Allie, Allie, what are you doing to me? <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, that's that's really fun, Michelle. Thank you so much for sharing your story. That's awesome. So um, I'd like to get to some of the questions that people have sent in. I want to just first off, go go ahead and say that the advice given is just general information. And I think people wrote their questions pretty generally. So that's good. It's just for general information purposes only, not meant to diagnose or treat a medical injury. So if you have any questions about your own injuries at home here, consult your doctor because these, this is just going to be general. And obviously, Michelle can't see you right now and she can't treat you right now. So, um, so let's jump into some of these questions that we got going on. Let me start, please, because uh, we addressed this last week in our very unprofessional way. We had a listener ask us about taking salt tablets in hot weather. And we were talking about that a bit. Michelle, what kind of advice would you give runners for taking salt tablets in this hot, humid weather? Well, I do think that there is a need for salt tablets, but I do think that it's a piece of the nutritional puzzle. Um, first of all, when people run in the really hot, humid weather. So I do think that having just a well-balanced electrolyte um, cocktail is probably their best um, best advice there. Uh, because it, if they just have the salt tablet, but they don't hydrate, then they can have too much salt in their system. Um, but there are other electrolytes your, that your body needs to function at its at its best. So, um, and I always try, try to tell people to prepare if they know that they are going to run in hot, humid weather. It isn't exact, always what they have at that moment, but it's what they ate days before as well in their system. So if they know they're going to run and it's hot, add food that has that natural salt, eat, add pickles to your diet, add, um, you know, foods that have uh, water to them, watermelon and bananas have potassium and the orange juice has the calcium and vitamin C. So try to add that into their diet and have their body prepared for that event. But in ex for extreme weather and extreme distance, in some cases, certain, you know, things are at, at extreme Situations need additional supplements, but they're not meant to be the primary source. They're meant as supplements to the source of their their main diet. We had talked about a product that a lot of us use called Fast Chews, and they, I don't know, they're 100 milligrams of salt. I think most tablets are about 300 milligrams. So it's kind of a low dose. You run in the marathon at Disney when the temp creeps into the 80s. I think they helped me one time. But that's good advice. I think the that advice you gave about prepping beforehand as opposed to relying on a tablet. I think it's I think that's helpful. Thank you. So, I am feeling an injury and I, you know, have been doing what I know to do before run. What are some signs that I should look for of when to see a PT in the first place? That's a really good question and I'll if what you're feeling is inhibiting you or stopping you or making you alter what you are doing or what you want to do, your body is telling you something is not right. Um, so I, at that point, would seek some sort of medical advice. And if you are, are experiencing a lot of pain and it came out of nowhere, um, physical therapy is a great place to start, but if you're really not sure to go to a good sports medicine or orthopedic doctor to get those clinical um, diagnostic tests. 
just to rule out any bad stuff. So when you come to PT, we can really get at what's, you know, what's bothering you. Because, you know, if there's a stress fracture or if there's a um, something that I can't see clinically, well, at least the doctor's office can rule some of that stuff out before you come to us. But but that isn't 100% of the time. The doctors may say, you know what, try physical therapy, and then we can try some of the diagnostic tests. Um, but if you are going, but if it isn't stopping you or inhibiting you into doing what you want to do, that's when you need to seek help. It's, for example, it's like if your car is making a noise, but you can still drive it, would you continue driving it until it stopped working? Yes. And, some people, Sorry. yes. <laughs> or would you say, geez, my car is rattling or I'm pressing the brakes and they're not stopping, but I can kind of come to a rolling stop. You would well, Michelle knows this just- too. She she knows that I come into her when I start to have that, like, I know I'm prone to certain injuries and I feel that nagging pain that's not quite an injury yet. And I go see her so that I can kind of take care of it before it gets into being a bad injury. Right. I, I my phrase is you need to know your body well enough to know the difference between owies and injuries. You can run with owies, you can't run with injuries. You just can make it. Yeah, absolutely. Work. I'm coming to see a physical therapist. Is there I know you, we do a consultation with a physical therapist, you ask me questions. Is there any questions I should be asking the physical therapist when I'm there for my consultation? Ooh, good question, John. That's yeah, that's a very good question, John. Before people even get to a physical therapist, they have a lot of questions and they're looking for answers. So I do encourage people to make a list, write down what their concerns are, what um, and what their goal is to get out of PT um, and what other resources or things that they can do either at home or um, pieces of equipment or shoe type or anything like that, that they could use um, to help them um, with their injury. So um, I think by the time most people come and see most physical therapists, they know, well, I could speak for myself. They know my history. They know what I'm used to, um, my specialty in treating is and how often, you know, I've seen certain injuries, but a lot of questions I get from patients are what type of shoe should I wear? How often should I do this exercise? Um, you know, what shouldn't I do? So those, those questions are, are very important, not only what to do, but what not to do. And I do encourage people to bring a list um, and then ask away because that's, that's, what you're, that's why you're coming in. Is, and our job is not only to help get you better, but to teach you how to manage your pain, especially for our endurance athletes, because they're going to keep running and they're going to continue doing what they want to do, even if they're sore. So how can we teach you to best manage um, your injury? Now, I will preface this question by saying that obviously each one of us has different types of medical needs and different types of health insurance plans and and such. I know from me personally, when I had an Achilles tendonitis issue, which is still lingering, but managing it though, I remember I went to see my podiatrist first, and then he wrote me a script to go get physical therapy. Is there a certain scenario where, okay, you know, say, you know, as Lexi mentioned, you're starting to feel these things. Is there a possibility, again, insurance plan pending, that they can come straight to a physical therapist as opposed to going to see your primary care or, um, or having to get a referral or such? Is, is that possible? 
it is possible in some states and there in but each insurance plan is different but if you wanted to come to see Michelle at performance rehab in, in New Hampshire you could come the the your policy may or may not cover that without a referral usually they will not um, but then you can pay out of pocket okay. for that but every insurance plan is so different I really wouldn't even venture to generalize that answer but you could come to physical therapy and be treated if you went, wanted to be a cash pay patient as well. Speaking in generalities, I've definitely been able to call into my doctor's office and say, hey, I have this reoccurring injury in my knee and it feels like it's getting wonky again. Can you send me a script to my physical therapist? And oftentimes they will do that without seeing me, knowing that it's something that I've dealt with in the past. Now, I don't know if that will work for you, but that is just what I've been able to do. <laughs> yeah, that's very good input, Allie. I, especially if the physician knows you, your primary care knows you. And then the phys physical therapist, if they're not sure what they're seeing, if it seems unusual, m most physical therapists would refer you back to a doctor for your own sa safety sake. Yeah. All right, Michelle, let's get back to the questions our listeners sent in. One of our listeners has a, had a broken talus bone, which is down in the foot, right? It Somewhere is. Somewhere down there? Okay, thanks. Thanks. Now, the listener asked for exercises and stretches, but generally, Let's, that's a pretty specific injury. Generally, what are some good exercises and stretches for the ankle, for recovering from ankle injuries? Right. So the, the talus bone is a little bone that connects the, the ankle, the heel to the foot. Um, and it's a, that, and that's a very rare, I shouldn't say rare injury, but it could be a dangerous injury because if that, if there, there isn't a very good blood supply to that bone, they, that it could get necrotic and die. So it, they usually have to go in and put a little pin there. So there's there could be more to this story when somebody has a fracture to their talus bone. Maybe they had surgery that they had to put a pin in there. Um, if it was a car accident or something bad that there was other damage to the other little joints around it, um, that could limit the joint motion as well. So I would really address with a, any type of talus or foot ankle fracture from the toes to the hip, you really, because it is all connected. Um, so, you know, just some active, you know, toe crunches to start and toe flares. And there's a lot of people when they hurt their ankle or their foot, they lose their ability or mobility in their toes. And they, they think about, oh, my ankle, my ankle. But if you don't get the toe flexibility and mobility back to be able to push off your toe when you run, because um, a lot of times people will, with the ankle injury, they'll end up towing out when they run. So they really never get that mobility and flexibility back in their toe. So I would be very mindful to make sure that they include the range of motion in their toes and the strength in their toes. Um, so I, I would say start with some toe crunches and some toe flares to start. Uh, they have this thing called toe yoga, which you press down your big toe and then you lift your four other toes and then you press down your four other toes and you lift up your big toe and just to work those intrinsic little tiny muscles in your foot very very important you know um, we're all trying you know we're all trying it right now yeah you know? toe yoga so everybody hard. heard it's i'm definitely difficult. moving my toes right now <laughs> i know but it's so important because um you know you know just you, 
people will do ankle pumps, circles with their ankle, write their alphabet with their foot, do the Achilles stretch and all of that. Um, But if you think about it, you you, you have muscles that attach from your calcaneus or your heel bone down into your toes. So you have to stretch that cable and then, then from the calcaneus up to your knee. You have that cable you need to stretch. So it, it is all connected. And if you want to keep that really good running form, you need to stretch it all. So start from the bottom on your way up, toe crunches, toe flares, ankle pumps up and down, circles one way, circles the other, um, hamstring stretches all the way up into your you know, your hip and piriformis stretch, IT band stretch. I, I work the whole lower extremity as one. So it's a very good question, um, but don't isolate just the ankle, especially for the talus, because I would bet that their gait pattern has changed. So all of the whole lower extremity needs to be addressed in that range of motion and stretching. What is the most common area that runners neglect strengthening? And why do you think it's important to strengthen that area? Jack, that is a brilliant question. Thank yeah, you. because I try. Uh. <laughs> You know, because most runners just want to get out there and go. So typically what happens is they will develop a muscle imbalance where they get a lot of strength in their front, right? So their hip flexors get stronger and tighter. Their quads get stronger and tighter. Um, But they don't like to do stuff in the back, you know. So I would say what you really should focus on, because it's easy that people want to they run it with their quads and their hip flexors and such to work the extensor. So you want to work your glutes, you want to work your hamstrings, you want to work your calves, but not only in the positive where the muscles are getting shorter, but in the negative or eccentrically. So a lot of times people will injure, especially like their hamstring when they're decelerating eccentrically. So it's important to strengthen those muscles. Initially, concentric means the muscle contracts or as it generates tension, Eccentric means it elongates as it generates tension. And most over, um, like a hamstring pull or something that, that or a rotator cuff, that, that, that occurs when people are trying to decelerate the speed. So I would focus for runners opposite of what you do for those 26 miles. So instead of flexion and the internal rotation of your hip, you want to extend and externally rotate your hip. And you can do that by bridging exercises, backward walking. I know it sounds silly, backward ex- on the elliptical, mostly just um, the, the muscles in the in the back, the extensors and, and the external what, rotators. You can say the thing I didn't want you to say, which is clamshells. And clamshells. And you always make me do clamshells. <laughs> like get, Been there, get, done that. Yep. Open up the hips, yeah. And so I think a nice, you know, just cross training, and I know this is off topic from this, but is to add a stretch and in, in recovery day into your program, which would, if it's joining yoga or Pilates or something like that, because um, it will work on muscles and stability, flexibility, uh, and your balance, which is really important. And most runners don't want to do anything that might slow them down <laughs> like that. <laughs> They're like, let's just go. <laughs> So I'm going to take it back to the feet um, because this is an injury that I have had for as long as I can remember. Um, Plantar fasciitis. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Which I know a lot of runners struggle with this and um, some runners don't even know what it is. 
Um, so could you go into a little bit about like what, what causes plantar fasciitis, um, uh, what it is. And, um, I know for me, the initial, like, oh, I have plantar fasciitis is kind of past, but every so often I'll have flare ups or, um, the last time I was training for a marathon right at 17 miles, which is my run next week. Um, I had a flare up that caused me not be able to do the remaining training runs to get to the marathon distance. Um, we just kind of had to taper myself until I got to the marathon. Um, so do you have any advice along those lines too? Yeah. And I, I think, um, well, I have a lot of information to share right now, but just to answer your first question, what is plantar fasciitis and anything with an I T I S means it's an inflammation of, so the muscle that it's almost like a hammock that goes from your heel to your toes is your plantar fascia. And when that gets inflamed or irritated, they call it plantar fasciitis. And that can, that muscle gets stretched for many different reasons. If somebody has a, a flat foot and that arch isn't supported, every time they take a step and their heel strikes, they stretch out that muscle and that causes it to get irritated and inflamed. Um, sometimes again, it's the toe mobility. If they don't have a lot of flexibility or mobility in their toes, you may tend to toe out when you run. And as a result, every step you take is stretching out that poor plantar fascia. And then that toe out, it actually might be occurring up in your hip. So you need to work on some hip stability to keep your hip, knee and ankle all in the same line. So you push off your big toe and don't, don't toe out when you run. Uh, and then also your shoe type, um, you know, depending on if you have a flat foot, a high arch, um, the proper footwear is, is imperative. And a lot of times, you know, not everybody that has plantar fasciitis needs a custom orthotic. A lot of the shoes now are really built and designed with a nice heel um, stabilizer or arch support or a cushion. You can get them wide, you can get them narrow. So the proper footwear is imperative. And if people are running big distances, I usually say get two pair and alternate them when you run. But again, as far as treating, I would, I, I want you to practice toe yoga. I'll send that to you, um, that exercise. But but stretching that out, I know you've done golf, probably frozen the water bottle and rolled that on your foot and you know, and all those other things. But if it continues, and, and typically, if, if you people tell me, oh, at mile 17, 18, I start feeling it, then what that's telling me is instead of running hip flexion extension, you're getting tired somewhere and you're probably waddling side to side and towing out. And, and as you tow out, as you strike down with your heel, you're stretching that, the arch of your foot more. So I would recommend at that point, try your best to shorten your stride. And probably try to shorten your stride at a mile 15 before it hurts. And then really practice on like landing softly. I always say like run like a deer. Try to land softly. Don't pound the ground because you want to try to absorb some of that um, that force that's being put on your, foot, on your foot. And then if you can, look at your run. Lift knee up, toe up when you run. Don't go toe out sideways. And that, that happens typically at, at that point in the, the distance because you're, you're getting a little tired. You started out feeling really great. The first 13 are awesome. The next two kind of get a little tired. And then 17, 18, you get a little sluggish. So I would, in your training, um, 
toe yoga, I would address that. I would do A marches, which is just standing in place and really focusing on good core stability and bringing your hip, knee, and ankle at a 90 degree um, position and then down, like some marching in place to really work on your form and then shorten your stride there. So those stretches that you keep talking about are going to be awesome. I'm definitely going to incorporate those. I think they're great for all runners to um, have in their handbook. Um, Do you have any specific um, home recovery tools or stretching tools that you would recommend if somebody wanted to use something specifically? Um, I always start with everybody. Well, not everybody has a tub anymore, but um, soaking with Epsom salt old school, but it works. I love that. Um, but the, you know, the latest and greatest, those recovery um, boots or, um, oh yeah, you know, are, you know, the, the, the pumps the and pants. stuff, the puffy pants. I mean, those feel awesome. You can call them the puffy pants. Those are, are <laughs> awesome. Um, you know, the third guns are very helpful. Foam rolling is very helpful. Um, anything you can do to work you know, anything to, to help the muscles increase the, the blood flow to the area um, after a run. But I really, and, and if you don't have those fancy, fancy extra, you know, things to do at the end, soak in the warm tub, put some compression pants on or some nice comfy uh, running tights and just put your legs up on in the wall. Um, and, and you can get that same recovery blood flow back to the heart. Not as cool as those puffy plant <laughs> that that we love, but you know they it works, and your legs will feel great. A lot of us are running the dopey challenge, which we talked about, uh, which is a five k, ten k, half and full back to back. Do you have any recommendations for recovery tools or things that we might do, you know, in the hotel room after the races or between the races? Yeah, depending on the temperature and how you're feeling, I I'm sure there'd be a hot tub or a pool. So I would definitely get get the pressure and the force off the joints. And just while you're in the water, you can do some just gentle um, walking. You can do some gent- like gentle dynamic type of warm-up leg swings, you know, ankle movements um, in the pool. I would highly, highly recommend that. Um, after like the races. after the races? Oh, yep. yeah. Yep, after the races. And then even while you're in there, you can do, and that's where I would say, you know what, you might feel some tightness. So do some static stretches while you're in the pool as well would not be harmful. You don't have to do every body part static stretch, but maybe your hamstrings are bothering you. Maybe your hip flexors or or your piriformis is bothering you. So you're in the, I would definitely take advantage of those pools. Definitely. I mean, you'll see me at the pool anytime. (laughs) Could you just quickly um, describe what a static stretch is in case some of our listeners don't know? Sure. So static means that it, you you are not moving, right? So you are you position your body in a um, at an angle that that muscle is being stretched, but you are not moving. You're just going, you know, moving your body to a point where you feel the stretch, hold it. You know, one study says that you can increase the muscle length between six and sixty seconds. So I always say do three for 30 seconds, because I feel like if I can hold somebody's attention for 30 seconds, really, that's a, that's a nice, gentle, static stretch. Dynamic means that you are moving. So you want to, as you're stretching the muscles, you're, as you're, as you're moving. So maybe you're doing some high knee, gentle walkthroughs or high knee, gentle, you know, gentle um, hops. So you're actually increasing the flexibility of the muscle 
in the excitability of the muscle and the, the warming up of the muscle as you're getting it ready to, to do your activity. Um, in my opinion, depending on the situation, they are both valuable to do. I don't think, I don't say, oh, I never stretch or I never static stretch or I never dynamic stretch. True, sometimes I don't stretch, but I should. Um, and then sometimes <laughs> I stretch more statically, maybe because I had this long run and I just am as sore as anything and I don't want to dynamic stretch. I don't want to move. I want to lay down, but I know I should <laughs> do something. So I just get a yoga strap and I'll do my hamstring stretches, my IT band um, and stretch out that way. So um, I think it, every modality has a piece of the truth. And depending on how you're feeling and your distance that you're doing and weather and temperature and all of the above, um, you know, use the tool that you need in the toolbox. What is the benefit of a dynamic warm-up versus static warm-up? Um, that's a very good question. And, and the truth is, um, depending on what you're trying to accomplish. So if you are getting ready for a race, for example, and you want to get your muscles warmed up and uh, increase the, like the, 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 um, ability for that muscle to contract and perform and do what you need it to do. Uh, a dynamic warm-up is, is beneficial because as you move the muscle through a lengthened range, it warms up the muscle, increases the blood flow to the area, makes it more pliable so it can contract better and perform, get create more force to, so you're able to run better. And it does increase your, your muscle length a little bit, so not as much as if you held the stretch but there's studies that prove either way that could be right or wrong with that statement. Um, but it, it helps to increase the excitability of that muscle so it's able to perform better. If you have a muscle that you gently statically stretch and just hold it there, it actually relaxes the muscle and decreases the uh, reaction of that muscle. So that isn't something that you would wanna do for a long period of time before a race. Uh, you could do some static stretches for muscles that are tight, but you you don't want to relax the muscle too much before you race because then you won't, it won't perform well and you won't have a very good race. There is a definite neuromuscular connection there. For example, if you like, for example, if you uh, are on a roller coaster and it's there's a lot of bouncing and excitability, um, the muscles tense up, right? They 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 react, they scream. But if you have a baby that's crying and, and if you gently rock that baby or just hold that baby and, you know, just you'll decrease the tone of that, that muscle and that baby and soothe the, the muscle and, the, uh, and soothe the baby. So there is a, there is a neuromuscular response to dynamic uh, stretching and increasing the excitability of that muscle and static stretching where you relax the muscle and decrease the tone in that muscle. I never thought of it that way. That's a really good example of like how dynamic stretching and static stretching are different. Mm -hmm. I really like what you said about having excited muscles. So basically our muscle excitement should match our excitement of being at the race. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> and it is exciting. But you know what? Some people, if they get so nervous before a race, I almost tell them like, just lay down and just like take a deep breath. Like get yourself to a point where, you know, you're not going to be so tense and that you can't re react and, and run and enjoy yourself, you know, so you have to, you know, but 
most people, the dynamic warm-up is more beneficial before a race. Or like someone like me who has spasticity in their legs, sometimes it's better to do static stretching so that I can like make that muscle relax a little more. Exactly. Exactly. And that is, you know, in, in, in the sixties, when they had those stability balls, um, you know, like right now they have those physio balls, but they were actually developed for children. If they had hyperspasticity, very, very tight, you'd put them on those stability balls and gently rock them because that would help to decrease the muscle tone and that would open them up. So it it would decrease their muscle spasticity. And then if you had a, a, child or that was very hypotonic or floppy, you would bounce them on the ball to increase their muscle tone. So yeah, so that is the real like neurophysiological uh, purpose of those physio balls, 60s, but in the 80s, that changed and the evolution of now everybody has a stability ball and they think it's for a computer chair. But there is the the history (laughs) of that is, is, um, it's so interesting. I just don't think based. I've never I've never heard anyone describe it that way. And now now it makes a lot of sense um, why you would do one versus the other. Before we leave the topic, Michelle, what are the benefits of stretching after the run? Um, and that again is a debatable issue, but I do think uh, maybe not immediately after the run, but a, a little while later. I think it um, if there is a history of muscle tightness that you want to try to loosen up those muscles that might be causing some inflammation and tightness on other areas of your body. Plantar fasciitis is a great example. Patella tendonitis is a good example. Um, so if the hamstrings are real tight and your quads have to work so hard to extend your knee for the run, the patella tendon will get very, very inflamed. So if you can loosen up the muscles in the back, your hamstrings, then your quads will have a fighting chance to extend your knee and not have to pull so hard on that poor patella tendon. So I do think that there is benefit to tight to stretching um, tight muscles after a race as well to take the pressure off of um, either tendons or other joints that are that are inflamed or irritated. So if you could pick one strength exercise or stretch that every runner should do no matter what to take better care of your bodies, which one would you pick and why? Yes, yeah, so that was a great question. And I really had to think about that because um, I really couldn't just pick one. I actually came up with two. And I, re- I would pick a multi-joint exercise because if I only got one, I had to get the biggest bang for my buck. So <laughs> um, I do think a, like a either a, a lunge type of exercise would be beneficial. Um, and not just working the muscle. No, I guess if I had to just pick one, if you're not going to give me two, I would pick a lunge, but I would do it in multi directions. I would lunge forward and back. I would lunge laterally and back, and I would lunge backwards and back. Michelle, you're the guest. You can have two. Okay, yeah. then I definitely, <laughs> definitely would add, and um, I would add bridging on the ball because I. Oh yeah. And with the bridging on the ball bring your knees, your heel towards your butt in a way, because when you do that, and there's, there's a great article from um, in the National Strength and Conditioning Association years, years, years ago, and they, I think the person called it a uh, triple threat. But the reason I love that more, most is because as the person bridges up, it really forces you to engage your core and to stabilize your, your spine and your hips. 
because you really do need a great foundation or trunk for your legs to be able to push off of. So with the bridging, you would get nice trunk extension. I mean, a, a nice stabilized trunk with good hip extension. And then as you brought your heels towards you in a way, you're working your hamstrings concentrically and eccentrically with a little bit of external rotation and hip stability. So I would pick uh, the lunges in all multi-directions and the triple threats with a stability ball. If you've never done those stability ball exercises, those are really hard. <laughs> yeah. But they're really good because they do make you, because you need to have real good trunk or proximal stability to have real good and effective leg mobility or distal mobility. And that's yeah, why and to those... bring it back to what you said before, where you, you need to work on your glutes and your hamstrings and that back body stuff. That's kind mm -hmm. of what's getting ignored most of the time. But it's not when you do those yeah. exercises. No, you're right. You're <laughs> no. But I always tell people doing them is like brushing your teeth. Like you don't wait till you have a cavity to brush your teeth. You just hopefully do it every day, right, to prevent it. So you should do those hip extensions and external rotators like clams, everything you hate to do as preventative. So you never have to worry about IT band tightness or well, plantar fasciitis or all those little naggy things. Interesting you should talk about IT band tightness because we want to talk about IT band syndrome. Um, and I know what it is because I see you for it. But what, what is it for our listeners and how can we avoid it? So IT band is like the basically when everything else fails, your poor IT band has to put up with the try to take care of it, everything. So your IT stands for your ilium is your hip bone. And your tibia is your shin bone. So that iliotibial band, the band starts from your hip bone and it goes down and attaches like three little fingers on the outside of your, your knee, right below your knee. Well, when your hip flexors and internal rotators get real tight because you're running all the time, your IT band is put on the greatest amount of stretch. And, and it's when your knee is bent at about maybe 15 to 45 degrees bent that that, that that cable is really being stretched. So if you keep running, pulling the hell out of that, what can I say hell? But pulling the heck out of that poor <laughs> muscle, it's going to say, hey, it, I'm sore, stop it. So when people have IT band problems, it's usually because of the tightness in the hip flexors and internal rotators, weakness in the hip extensors and external rotators. So you got to do your bridging, you have to do your clams, you have to do your single leg deadlifts, like all those things to strengthen the back. But when you feel that when you run, I would absolutely work on your running form. I would shorten your stride. I would make sure you're doing the knee up, toe up, you know, everything's the best you can facing forward. You don't want to toe out and you don't want to go knock need in. And if those things are happening, have a friend videotape you with the phone. Just grab your phone and watch yourself run, but not the first mile. Like get about get into it a little bit when you really start fatiguing and instead of running, you know, with a really good form. When your form fails, what do you look like? And you and, and have them videotape you from the front side and the back. But another takeaway for IT band people is if you look at your shoes and the wear and tear of your shoes, and you can usually tell it where your your pressure, um, where you're landing, 
and where your corrections need to be. Uh, but I would foam roll the IT band. I would foam roll your piriformis. I would foam roll the your hip flexors and your quads, especially your lateral quads. But most people with IT, chronic IT band, they already do that, but it's not getting better. So you know that's not the primary cause. That's a secondary response to something that's weak somewhere. And usually it's the deep hip rotators, which most people hate to do. And for me, it... it- it popped up as the piriformis, which is like the band that goes across your butt um, right in the middle. That was sore. My knee was sore. And I guess my IT band felt tight, but it was just mostly my knee and my hips that felt it the most. Right. And because your knee, if your IT band is, is pulling your kneecap laterally, the medial side of your knee, all that soft tissue is being stretched away. So people will say, oh, the inside of my knee hurts. Well, it's because it's being pulled laterally. So we need to loosen up what's pulling it that way. Uh, and then we need to strengthen the deep hip rotators. Like, So if you took your glute off, your, your glute maximus, there's six little deep hip external rotators. Gemellus and all these other ones that nobody knows the name of. But those are the, those are the key stabilizers of your hip and pelvis when you run. And those are the ones that strengthen, um, you know, with the clams or the standing clams. Uh, and what I might even do for some people is have them stand on, you know, go to Home Depot or any store, get those sliders, furniture sliders, put your feet on them. And then standing straight, almost like a, a ballet dance, like, you know, belly button to your spine and just rotate your toes out and then back in out and back in and you'll feel deep in your glutes those muscles working and they they'll get sore so that's a real good exercise for um so it but we need to get to the root of why your it band continues to be stretched and strained it's a secondary response to some weakness or tightness somewhere else or your feet you have to look down at the feet too a little i know with my um it band the pain is always at the very top of my hip, like right where my hip bone is, all the way down to like the middle of my thigh on the outside. And I know instantly just because I've dealt with it for another one I've dealt with so long. Um, and I, my uh, PT told me one time, he was like, surprise, it's all connected. There you go. It is. That's right. um, yeah. And so, you know, with plantar fasciitis and IT band and all that kind of stuff, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it all goes together. But my, mine totally is a, a hip weakness. I agree with your physical therapist. <laughs> That's good to know. Listen, listen to that person. Uh-huh. Right. It's yeah. e- easier said than done. But I think with you, if you just shorten your stride a little bit too and videotape yourself at mile like 18, 17, 18, and then you'll say, oh my gosh, look at what I'm doing. And then you'll be able to correct it. I think it's remarkable how much overstriding hurts. Michelle, here's one I can relate to, and it came up from two or three of our listeners. We've been out for a long time with one or more injuries, anywhere from two, three months to maybe the better part of a year. You come back and you're really anxious because you don't want to hurt it again. How do you deal with that anxiety? That is a great question, and that is a very, very real 
big piece of any rehab and recovery and return to sport. And whether it's running or just uh, getting back to life and as you know it. And um, and I, a group like this that you, you've created here in the podcast and, and is such an important part of the rehab and recovery is to have that community and to have people listen because I think everybody that's coming back feels that they are the only ones that have that feeling. And it isn't something that really can be measured. It isn't something that can be written down. It isn't something that we give you a home exercise for and you do it three times for 10 reps. It's something that's real and it affects everybody differently. Um, But I do think to just be kind to yourself, I tell everybody that, you know, listen to your body. Don't over, um, don't expect too much of yourself when you go back and just give yourself so much credit for going back and just to appreciate that you are, you are going back, you're doing a great job and just to be your best advocate. And I always tell most people, treat yourself like you would treat your best friend. And they are very supportive of their best friends. Or if it's a parent, I say, treat yourself as you would your mom or your, your, your child. Um, because they are very kind to their own children or they're very supportive to their best friends, but they're very hard on themselves. Um, But to understand, I always tell people, if you were going back without a worry in the world, I would be concerned because what they've gone through is very, is, is, is life changing for them. But I tell them and reassure them that if, you know, because they've gone through their rehab, because they've worked so hard, they're able to get back to where they are and, and just to go back and enjoy it and just try their best to, if they feel any pain, to ease back. And if they feel that they can go a little bit more, then to just enjoy enjoy their run. Um, but I always say that, but to set a goal and um, to follow a program when they do return back to their, any activity, start out with a set uh, time. So you're gonna you're gonna run for five minutes and then you're going to walk. And even if you feel great, you're going to stop. As long as you're pain-free when you're running and you're pain-free the next day, then the next time you go out for your run, 10 minutes. And then you're pain-free while you, and you have to reach those benchmarks and then you build on them. And, um, but those, those, um, at the apprehensions, concerns, uh, are very, very real. But and I will tell people to expect changes up to a year after they have an injury and they return back to their sport. And that's hard for people because the first time they feel pain again, when they return back to a sport, they go, oh my gosh, did I ruin something? Am I going to be out for another year? And then just reassure them and find their community, find their people, um, express their concerns with other people. And people will share their concerns as well. And I'm going to give just one example. I had a mom very active, had a total knee replacement, was devastated by, you know, just losing her independence and uh, after her surgery and having to rely on other people and thought it was just her. And she was sharing her story with me with the college age kid that was just returning back to run after an ACL reconstruction. And before she could even finish her concerns, he finished the sentence for her. And then she realized like, okay, it's not just because it's me and you know, I'm, I'm old and I'm a mom and I'm trying to get back. That's a very common piece of a rehab and recovery. 
And I think it's um, a missing link for a lot of people if they don't address that, because it is isolating to have that injury. You miss your people, you miss your training, you miss being part of a community. And, and even if you don't know people when you sign up for a race, you're part of a community there. Very um, much so. Yeah. So um, to go back and, and just to be kind to yourself, but just realize you're not going to pick up where you left off, but you're back. And that's the most important thing is you're back. You, you don't realize you've been giving me a pep talk. You don't know that. <laughs> I, I had a total knee replacement in February. And uh, I ran for the first time today. Yay! So, that's such so, a great uh, feeling. Congratulations. Yeah. That's awesome. And everything was good. and But everything you said really, really hit home. And the thing that hit home the most was the support from the community support from these people who are here right now support from people in other groups of support from the the people who listen to us and get online and chat with us they don't realize they don't realize how important they are to me and to one another so thank you yeah no I thank need, you I, I needed that <laughs> that's wonderful but you brought you allowed this to happen you brought people together and all of you and and you should really recognize that and I hats off and applaud you for that because it is very isolating those injuries are very isolating for a lot of people and especially in these past two years so to have the support and to realize they're not alone and to realize that you know you're, you're trying and you're 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 doing you're doing it you're back you're back but appreciate your back appreciate the success of that and then appreciate that your body is still healing and you need to let it rest and recover <laughs> so you can go to the next extra five minutes the next time pain-free. Yep. I um, take the long view. Honest, I do. I, yeah. I'm taking a long view on it and I'm pretty excited. Yeah, that's but, awesome. That's uh, awesome. Congratulations. That's, no, that's so a big much. day today. Congratulations. That's a big day for you. I'm very happy for you. So now you know why I go to Michelle for my PT. It's not just for injury rehab or prehab. It's for the life coaching that she supplies <laughs> to me at every every session. So I want to ask a question to you, Michelle, that I know the answer to already, but I hope our listeners will also enjoy the answer. Can you talk a little bit about your philosophy on how you get through a really long race, like a marathon or an Ironman or the Dopey Challenge with a smile on your face? Well, truly, that is an easy answer for me because I mean, you, you don't sign up not to finish, right? You sign up to finish. So the goal's out there. You already know what you're going to do. So the decision is made. Now you just have to do your training. So the end game is there. But as you're running, I think sometimes when I'm running, sometimes I, I let my mind go to the negative. Like, oh my gosh, what if I get sore? What if I can't run fast enough? What if somebody's passing me? But then I, I, I stop and I actually, I, I stop even before the race starts and I say to myself, okay, look where you are. Look at the, all these cool people around you and don't let your, your negative thoughts ruin this very cool moment. Like you're here, you signed up and you're here. And I share this with Allie. Like you've planned your meal, you've planned your fuel, you've planned your training, you've Plan your what you're gonna wear, 
but now it's time to like enjoy it. So stop, look around like, and, and don't miss out on the sky. I always say like, there's a big sky. Like I always look up at the sky. I'm like, man, these clouds are beautiful. Or if it's raining, I go, well, I hope it doesn't rain too hard, but I won't smell so bad when I sweat because I'll be all wet, but I figure <laughs> out something, but I find the positive. I listen to the music because usually the music is pumping and it's great. I look around and you know what? There's people that I might be nervous, but they may be even more nervous. And I think, oh my gosh. And then you, you try to just create those friendships there, which we all meet people and we all become friends with somebody that we'll never see again sometimes, but sometimes that isn't true. Um, but I smell the smells. I look, I, I try to meet people. I, I, I just enjoy the moment because that's what I signed up for is to enjoy it. And, um, and then I truly make sure that whenever I see a camera, I smile because <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be like this uh, picture. Uh-huh. So if I'm going to buy the pictures, I want to make sure they look good. And so I plan <laughs> my smiles. And uh, at the end, that's that's the grand picture of that you would, you know, this is why I did it. Uh, but and I but I just do. I, I love the community. I love meeting people. I love and those are people that I wouldn't meet that day if I didn't do the race. So for me, it's more than just physically going out and running. I make I love that. And then if I feel like a little nervous, I just say to myself, OK, do a body check. I say, OK, am I breathing? OK, yes. My muscles feeling okay, a little sore. Well, you're running a race, okay. Uh, and then I just, I, I, I just, I call it the triple A's. I just assess if something's not right. I adjust, and then I just attack, and I finish the race, and I love it, and I, and it just makes me happy. I love that. Yeah. yeah, I love that. You always end up having just a great time, and you can tell from your pictures because I know you're always smiling in all of them. I do love um, it though. But, yeah, yeah, no, it, oh, it it's comes really through. great. It comes through. If I could summarize, Michelle, I'd say, you're one of us. Yeah, I hope so. I would hope so. Especially when there's a yellow bunny in Boston. Oh, my gosh. Was I that know. a bunny or a bear? It was a bear. Ah, uh, it was yep. a bear. Yeah. A bear. I think that bear. was like mile six. Is that where you were, Ali? Yeah. Six? There were a lot of serious face people at mile six, and I think they weren't doing the Michelle triple-A checks. They no. were staring at their shoes. They were in their heads just – what have I gotten into? My body's starting to hurt. You came down that hill and you were like just your biggest smile on your face and just and looking up, head up, happy, just looking at everyone cheering, like cheering along with them. You were just having a great time. And I think it's it's just what you do. You take mental pictures, you're enjoying the race. And you've you've always told me like you've done all the training. Now this is your time to have fun. Yeah. Look at the people, enjoy the crowd. They're cheering for you. Like acknowledge them. They will, they will, they will just feed you energy to, to carry you to the finish, but enjoy them. Enjoy your supporting, like the people along the way as well. You know, when they dress up for you, I mean, look, I mean, she came to support me. How cool is that? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we, we take your experience very seriously. You have, have a very impressive um, accomplishments that you've achieved. So thank you um, all very much for having me here tonight. This is awesome. This is so much fun. It was really nice to meet you all. Very interesting, very informative and a lot of fun. Uh, Michelle's practice is at performance rehab in Nashville, New Hampshire. 
So if you're fortunate enough to pull a hamstring in Nashua, you know right where to go. Okay. That brings another episode of the Rise and Run podcast to a close. My friends, and if you run, you are our friends. Until we meet again, happy running. The Rise and Run podcast discusses general information about Run Disney and is in no way affiliated with Run Disney or the Walt Disney Company. Any information or advice discussed on this podcast should not be considered medical advice and should always consult with your healthcare provider or event organizer. <laughs>